0: Oh, I usually have the drop happen right away. Let's see? Oh, boo. Having a technical I think I'm difficulties. on now though. All right. Oh, welcome George.
1: Hey, how's it going? Good to be here.
0: Right on. Well, um we usually have some tunes to kick us off, but I've got some te- technical difficulties on the desktop, so we'll have to fill the air. <laughs> George. Well, George. I guess
2: I guess we have a lot of topics to talk about, so Maybe skip the music this time. <laughs> skip the music, hop in.
0: I'll do a brief uh, brief intro and we'll, and we'll jump into it. So um, thanks for everybody joining live and for those who will be listening in later. This is the 19th space in a weekly series called Adopting Bitcoin, a conversation with Galloy. We hold discussions with thoughtful leaders about Bitcoin and lightning adoption and about enabling communities and institutions to use Bitcoin as money, which is our mission at Galloy. This week, I'm stoked to talk about last week's Bitcoin 2022 conference, specifically what went down in the open source hall. The Dell and team did an awesome job with planning and scheduling. Um, there was nonstop signal coming out of that room. Uh, and just having binged most of the sessions on YouTube, uh, or at least the ones I've missed, uh, there's, there's a ton to share and discuss. And so I'm excited to hop into it. Uh, to kick us off, we've invited George Kalutis, uh, no relation to Evan to my understanding, uh, to share some of his experience. Uh, he wrote a couple of great recaps of uh, the open source stage and of Plebfi for CoinDesk. So I'm looking forward to get his observer's take of the conference, hear about um, you know what was memorable for him. So we'll start with a couple intros, uh, brief recap from George, and then we'll open up stage for folks to share some of their takeaways as well. So um, without further ado, let's hop in. George, thanks for joining. Uh, Want to give us a brief intro?
1: Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, no relation to Evan Kalutis beyond us both liking Bitcoin and, you know, being brothers in Satoshi or something like that. I don't know, something funky like that. Uh, he's doing a great job with Zeus. And I think it's one of the better lightning wallets out there. And because I'm, I am also Greek, so there's that. Uh, but so I've been working at Coindesk now for just over a year and a month or so. And I used to be in investment banking. So I was in iBanking for five to six years. And I I saw the the monster up close, right? Uh, The big bad bank. And I was in there. And I was pretty much the only guy who cared about Bitcoin. So my sort of path with Bitcoin and and my introduction to it was through a very close family member of mine, uh, my father, who had stumbled upon Bitcoin prior to anyone ever even hearing about it. He was a CPU miner for a little bit. Uh, was doing the whole Satoshi dice and online poker with the, the bitcoins, But, you know, he had always been a very staunch libertarian about hard money, all that kind of stuff. So you would always tell me, hey, son, you should look into the Bitcoin stuff. Uh, I was 16, so I didn't care. I was trying to play professional soccer and that uh, did not work out. But I didn't really care what he had to say. My dad ended up you know kind of falling out of interest with bitcoin you, you lose a lot of it when, when if you're someone who's had a thousand bitcoin before and you kind of lose track of it and you know get mount gox uh mount gox, you kind of lose your interest and you're not involved anymore so my dad did kind of stopped talking about bitcoin for a while until my uncle ended up going to greece and he's an american citizen and there was a bank run while he was there and he wasn't able to get money out of his bank accounts and we weren't able to send him any money where that was sort of the time where like, oh my God, this is the Bitcoin, this is the Bitcoin use case. We can send him money permissionlessly, borderlessly, and he could use that if there was some sort of circular economy there. So that's what drove me down the path of, of wanting to do Bitcoin stuff. I was still in banking. Uh, ended up getting a pretty cool opportunity to work on the team at CoinDesk and write specifically about Bitcoin. Uh, I know a lot of Bitcoin maximalists look at CoinDesk and think, "Okay, well they write about everything. They write about you know the the shit coins as well." But we do, and that's sort of part of the whole whole ecosystem. But I write about Bitcoin and. That's what got me to Bitcoin, and thankfully, because of my job, I was able to go to the Bitcoin 22 conference last week, and it was a uh, good fun. I haven't gotten sick yet, but I'm hearing about people getting sick, so hopefully, I've avoided that.
0: Not come wood, me neither. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I stumbled across your article, and uh, I don't know, maybe some of the folks haven't uh, here haven't read it. I we I can actually post yeah. it up in the nest, but. Um, you know, it sounded like, uh, you, you, you landed and found the signal. I just wanted to hear a little bit from like the, maybe the top line of, of your overall experience and then how you kind of stumbled into the, uh, the open source hall and and what that was like.
1: Yeah. And before anyone takes me too seriously, I'm just, I'm just a writer. I'm just a think boy. So don't take anything I say too seriously, but this was my first Bitcoin conference I'd ever been to. And I was honestly had some expectations when I walked in and I was immediately disappointed. Right it felt so mainstream, right? If you grew in the, the center where all the hype was happening, you saw all types of people, but you saw a lot of people that didn't really care about Bitcoin, right? They were all about, people weren't boarding yacht club shirts and things like that. Things that don't <laughs> embody the ethos of Bitcoin, right? And it's like any other conference, you're bumping into 10,000 other people. And I think because the announcements this year just weren't as big as last year's I mean Jack announcing El Salvador last year was crazy and anything that was below that is just going to be a massive disappointment it, it felt weird right like hearing Serena Williams and Aaron Rodgers and OBJ sit up there and kind of say nothing felt like oh, okay this is ugh, it's mainstream this sucks and then if I ended up just going to the open source stage because okay why not I'll try this stage out and it was like a whole different world it was really, really cool. It felt like the cyber, the cyberpunk had, had cyberpunk has through there. It was really awesome, and uh, that was the place where I sat down and listened to the people on stage, and I thought, "Oh, that person knows more than me." And I hadn't had that that uh, experience yet because everything I'd really listened to was okay. I've heard this guy say his his bit or her bit many, many times, and that's, that's it. And then we went over to the open source stage, and you saw these people who people covering their faces and. Talking about open source stuff, talking about privacy—it was great. It was like a, it was like two separate conferences almost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I we we spent uh, most of the time over in the in the open source area. Um, you know, there was some some work tables. You know, we were connecting with devs, uh, listening to the uh, listening to the panels, and you know, I guess you know one takeaway for me the um, the, the the balance across. I mean. Uh, I forget how many uh, how many panels there were, 15, twenty panels, um, and it covered every topic and at uh, varying levels of technical depth. And so um, it was just a really good um, sort of breadth. I think from a planning perspective, the open source stage was just um, was done really well. Um, what George, what um, you know what what talks or panels stuck with you or or you know what were some of the things that you you took away from uh, from the open source stage?
1: Yeah, I took away a lot. I listened to a couple of lightning discussions. Lightning is one of the things that I find really, really interesting because we had Bitcoin go from peer-to-peer digital cash to store value because things were too slow. And then now we're kind of moving towards lightning. And I listened to a lot of lightning calls. And what I found, uh, and I think we've, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, is the people who are on stage who code this all the time, there are two things. One, they hate lightning but also love lightning more than you because they know all the bad and good of it but they're also really really good at putting these metaphors together for the, the less technical people so there was something that christian decker from uh Blockstream said that i thought was really cool he was talking about how we have expansion during experimental phases and then contraction when we figure out what doesn't work and in my head i was thinking of an accordion right and it's like expansion contraction expansion contraction and i i thought immediately okay where are we at now? The, the, uh, I forget who was asking the question, but whoever was asking the question said, okay, where are we at now? And he said, I'm just about to start the next expansion. And that's super exciting. Uh, you know, Keith from, I think he's open Opensworth guy, Seed Signer. he said some cool stuff about, you know, comparing Taproot to changing from going on a, just on a train on rails, and you can kind of do different things and get placed. Uh, I thought one of the funniest takeaways was Brian Bishop in, uh, he was talking about a tax on Bitcoin. He said he signed off by saying something like Bitcoin is the greatest bug bounty program of all time. Good luck. And everyone loved that. and Everyone thought that was hilarious because if you break Bitcoin, you get all the money and that's awesome. Um, I think my biggest question and takeaway and, and you guys actually are probably best to answer this is you try to explain the business viability that's inherent in open source technologies, a lot of these big fancy businesses that are out there right now, they depend on IP laws, they depend on patents and all that jazz and, you know, monopoly power. So how can open source possibly make me right and be successful? What happens when the thing you're working on is open source and the people are demanding a non-custodial open source wallet, right? If you're delivering software, how do you get them to pay for what, Pay for that when other FOSS things exist, right? How do we monetize a free open source monetary system? And some of those devs, Did a pretty good job talking about how they are doing it now, especially the Lightning people, right? They're talking about liquidity on one side or the other and how you can loop out for a certain amount and blah, blah, blah. But it was really cool to hear them sort of talk about how you can monetize an open system. And it's actually something that I'm sure you guys deal with. So I'd actually like to hear how you guys are thinking about it. Because, I mean, if you guys are providing the the open source banking platform using Bitcoin. Like, how do you guys make money if it's free, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few great pieces in there. Um, you know, I'll take the, the. I'll take them maybe in somewhat of order, uh, just to sure. touch on a couple of things you said. The, the expansion and contraction uh, idea was really interesting. I think that was, you know, especially related to um, the sort of the multi-signature, Uh, pathways or potential uh, with, with taproot. And now they're being, um, I think maybe Keith gave the example of, like, like you said, you know, in the, in the, in the current system, you had you get on the, the the rails, it's like a train rail, you get on the trails, you get off. Um, And with taproot using, um, Uh, Google um, uh, public transportation maps where it's like, well, you could like take this shuttle to this stop and and get off and walk the rest of the way. You can take a bus. And um, to your point, there were some nice metaphors for the the less technical individuals. But um, obviously some of the talks went uh, quite into depth. Um, And then, yeah, the 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 notion of funding, the importance of open source and the funding of open source projects um was uh, was talked about in many of the panels um right and um you know i think just one to call out um was i think it was let's see uh potentially the one with steve myers um uh, and connor okus i think maybe Macarolo um was on this one um but uh, connor okus broke down sort of the four-step process within spiral which was great and and i may try and find that one and post that in the nest with Galloway. So, so, you know, we, we are in that position where we build open source Bitcoin banking software, right? So the Bitcoin beach wallet, you know, we, everybody calls it a wallet, um, which it is. um, But, but it's more than that beneath there, there's, you know, backend API, there's accounting tools um, there uh, you know, there there are multiple parts to the core banking platform, which anybody can use. Right. So for instance um, I don't know if you've heard of Bitcoin jungle, um, but Bitcoin Jungle forked the code and and was uh, had a, a sort of an app store ready uh, application within three weeks um, of of forking the code. So that open source core banking platform is really meant to help accelerate development um, and and you know align with the ethos of, of you know free and open source software. Um, and then in terms of you know monetization, um, you know there is, there is more to be needed um, to uh, it, sort of in two directions to scale. Um, Bitcoin banking you know towards a hyper bitcoinized world, um, and so, one of those things is is, is services or is for for organizations or companies who um, uh, who want to build a Bitcoin bank, um, but don't have nor want to hire the uh, the in house resources to do so. Um, there's sort of the banking as a surfed uh, model of the free and open source software. Um, and then the other uh, the other element is is add on uh, products and, and services for um, for a specific purpose uh, for whether that be things like um, uh, KYC, AML, uh, loan products, there's there's many different things that you could do to build on top of a Bitcoin bank to offer services. Um, And, uh, you know, there's potential in there uh, for the the paid product and service element. And one thing I'll mention there, um, which kind of ties back to, you know, a great point that I saw um, that I saw made that I heard made uh, in the I think it was Chris at Shird in his talk said, you know the order and the layers in which you build matter right um and so there's a there's a a lot of there's sort of a theme running through the entire open source hall uh of the trade-offs right between privacy censorship resistance uh as well as uh, uh simplicity Uh, Or, or sort of uh, adhering to regulation, etc. There's, there's really a spectrum, or or a couple spectrums. And so, what what Chris was saying was, you know, the the if you're build at the foundational layer, you need to build that censorship resistant private um, uh, uh, foundation because you can always add on things like KYC for a specific customer who needs it to get. You know, uh, for instance, you come from sort of some of the traditional finance world, right? Like for a traditional finance company um, to adopt and to uh, provide uh, Bitcoin services and lightning wallets to their customers, the path is going to go through those types of uh, modules. And so anyway, it's a bit of a long winded uh, way to answer your question. But that's kind of the idea is that we are, we are, we are uh, uh, of the development alongside uh, you know, other people of trying to build this open source standard for Bitcoin banking. And then we and others will build on top of it, build services and products on top of it
1: yeah and that long answer makes sense because i asked like six questions in my response so i don't think it's uh unexpected that it took you that many words to say what you want to say but I, I i tend to agree that sounds like things that i i got that away from the stage but also those are things I'm, i mostly agree with from like an ethos perspective uh one of the things that i also thought was super interesting was and i think we talked about this before and you kind of hinted at it a little bit how the people who are building now are trying to balance between solving developer needs and user needs, right? And if you ask the people who are on stage, I mean, for example, so Shinobi was up there and he had his face covered because no one wants to know who he is. And I think there was, uh, I I wasn't there when uh, this person was up there, but there was another person up there who had their face covered because they care about privacy. And and some people weren't being referenced to by their name. So if you ask any of those devs, they're probably going to build in these pretty onerous, from a user perspective, privacy tools, right? But, you know, some users really do not care if you, you know, know who they are and they don't care if they're, they don't have to run their own node to send Lightning payments through their own node, through whatever, over Tor, blah, 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 all that stuff. So it's really interesting to see these people who look very deeply care about privacy, about, care about self-sovereignty, kind of give in a little bit to the idea that some users really don't want full self-sovereignty like that Especially when it comes to their lightning node, right? Like they don't think that they need that from when it comes to lightning. But, you know, they have their own little stash of uh, what's a coin joined coin sitting somewhere that, you know, they lost in the last time they went to Miami in, in the water, right? So it was really interesting seeing them kind of agree, disagree with each other over, you know, how many privacy tools they should build into Bitcoin, right? Because we want it to be user friendly. There's a big user, user issue right now, right? A design issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, a common thread through many of the talks dealt with this spectrum. Um, and it was really interesting to think about uh, not just the end user of the person, you know, maybe the, the least technical person uh, who is downloading a wallet and, and just wants to be able to use Bitcoin. Um, but so you have end users as an audience. Um, to design sort of a range of solutions for, but and then you also have the developers as an audience to to provide a range of solutions for, right? So a lot of what Matt Corolla yeah. was talking about um, with LDK, um, and and you know uh, 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 Christian talking about green light, you know the, the mm-hmm. um, these. Giving some optionality to make it easier for uh, for devs to build apps without such like a large team, without onerous um, um, uh, you know responsibilities in terms of uh, running, launching uh, lightning nodes, like really providing like the end the end user experience for 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 users as well as an, a user experience for developers was like was really interesting because in the um, of in the in the process of doing that you you develop a a range of solutions like the perspectives from you know self custody to custody solutions um but there were there were a lot of these types of discussions where um it was really interesting to see four different people on stage talking about four you know maybe places on that spectrum um developing solutions so i I thought that was it was really interesting uh context to see those discussions happen happening
1: yeah um and in in spirit of not just sounding like, you know, we're ultimate cheerleaders for Bitcoin, rah, rah, Bitcoin is amazing, Bitcoin is everything. Uh, I think I want to introduce a little bit of like cynicism to the whole, you know, Bitcoin is great and amazing. Uh, if you guys will uh, humor me first. Um, so I think there's somewhat of a, a two-pronged thing here. A design issue, which people, the the Bitcoin design people are doing a great job trying to build design into Bitcoin now or help build design into into it, into Bitcoin, but there's also somewhat of a marketing problem. And and what I mean by that is sort of education as well. So a a particular dev I was speaking to about Taproot said that Taproot itself, right? But it has been overhyped even to some developers themselves. And there are developers who think that Taproot is incredibly useful and incredibly flexible thing. But until we start doing a lot of stuff with um, Taproot, it's not really useful. Taproot in and of itself doesn't do anything until people start with it, until nodes start saying, hey, we're accepting pay-to-taproot stuff and we're going to do cool stuff with it. But you'll hear a lot of developers say it's like the greatest thing ever, and even Keith, who I, um, who I, I respect, you know, his guide is what helped me set up the first node I ever set up by myself. Uh, he used that really good Google Transit tab comparison to talk about Taproot, like we said earlier, with you know being on these rails and you kind of do this or do that and then you get back to the same place. But that's not necessarily fully true, right? It doesn't build covenants in. And I, I, Jeremy Rubin talks about CTV, and he gets a lot of pushback from trying to put covenants into the Bitcoin. So while Taproot brings flexibility, it may not bring as much as we as we want. And to market something that is you know, not the end-all be-all as the end-all be-all is somewhat of a problem. And then you then push over to the other piece of marketing, which is design. Like, it is hard to be a self-sovereign Bitcoiner. The only reason that we are all able to do it is because we've been in it for a while and we care very deeply about it. So I don't know if I necessarily have a question there, but it's more of like, how do we fix the marketing problem? Do you guys think there's a marketing problem or is it just me being completely cynical, like a, like a dumb non-programmer?
0: I mean, uh, point... Points well taken. We had a, uh, a spaces with with Johns Bahari, um, you know, a few weeks back um, about like wallet interoperability. I would say, you know, is is one of those challenges, design challenges um, that sort of we place on the end user at this moment in time, right? And so you've got you know Ellen URL, you know, the whole both eleven, both twelve, which came up a couple times. Yeah, um, like I think. You know, I think this, this comes up in a few areas and Taproot was one of them, which is like, this is hard and it's not done and it won't be done. Like there's people pushing and pulling and, and selling, um, uh, you know, marketing for, for to, you know, to use your word, like, like marketing like changes, right? And um, I mean, it's inspiring to see all of these things in one place in a, in a matter of days because I, th- I think from my perspective you you, you just gain a uh, a sense of the just the, the, the gravity or the size of all of the parts and of how many people are pushing and pulling on these various parts to make them happen and I think that um um you know the uh the, you know the the taproot one is was really interesting I think it was uh Lop on that one just saying like um you know there's a lot of foot guns right like like we we, we need to be um and it goes back to what you're saying about sort of the uh um uh, expanding first with options, right? So, like Taproot provides optionality, um, but then coming together, um, is it is it stick from from uh, Trezor, Trezor? You know, was like this is a real issue for me developing software for my users because I, you know, I, you know, he wants to contract. He wants to have simple, uh, straightforward solutions and not necessarily optionality, right? Um, and so, anyway, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of parts to it. And so, I, I think lastly on on the comments that you made. Um, education, I, I think, is just at the forefront, right? I mean, it is, uh, uh, you know, we as you know, builders of the Bitcoin Beach wallet, um, like, you know, we see it you know, firsthand down in, in El Salvador um, and, and keep our eye on this, which is, um, you know, the technology is there. Um, But, you know, you can't bring people along, you know, to your point, George, you said earlier, a lot of us have been orange pilled before we use Bitcoin, or like on the way to using Bitcoin, especially on Lightning. Um, But for people that are their first exposure to bitcoin is to you know receiving some sats in a lightning wallet um you know there's a there's a there's a large a big edu- uh, education curve to uh, to climb up to you know so i think the education piece is just is just massive
2: yeah i want to chime in here uh, to try to answer george's question as well so um i mean you you might have heard uh, about that saying uh, that gigi popularized like there're 8 billion people and there's probably 8 billion uh, entries to the bitcoin rabbit hole and there's also like we are all trying to wrap our heads around what Bitcoin is as a Bitcoin community. And um, like the narratives have changed. And it's not just because like, oh, it's a narrative that is being crafted by someone in an ivory tower. No, it's just uh, people are really trying to wrap their heads around it. And, and depending on the needs and the, and the changing world and the development of the technology, um, these, uh, the narratives change. And so, of course, we went from a store of value, but that makes a lot of sense if you read Nick Zabo. So it first needs to be like a collectible, then, then a store of value. And, and, and then all of these people that are protecting themselves from inflation came onto the scene and propagate and, and talked about the store of value. Like, um, when now suddenly El Salvador popped onto the scene and, uh, and adopted Bitcoin as money uh, uh, because of uh, its usefulness and effectiveness um, as, a, as a payment rail. Um, And because most of the population uh, were financially excluded, didn't have bank accounts. So it was not to protect themselves from inflation. They did it because um, it makes their lives, it upgrades their lives and they don't have to stand in a queue and hop on a bus and pay uh, horrendous uh, cuts to Western union to get their money from the relatives in the United States. So suddenly it became a medium of exchange, but oftentimes we, we, or, and the developers didn't really get real world feedback so you're left basically guessing what people uh what what aspect of bitcoin and there is infinite possibilities like as you see with tabroot like the possibilities are infinite and some say it's really really great that there are some things and we should restrict them and on the other hand like teams working on this that you actually need standards because otherwise if you break interoperability uh so uh, it's like okay which which way do we go like uh uh, so many possibilities and uh, and everyone builds something else and then the bullets don't communicate. Well, um, but yeah, uh, it reminds me of something that Ben Ark actually said during his talk at Adopting Bitcoin last November. And he said like, man, we just got 7 million better users for Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and we're going to get real world feedback um, and we can develop according to the actual needs of people who are going to use Bitcoin. And before that, I was dependent on the feedback of a sleazy bar in Berlin. And he was talking about the Room 77, which is just like the first, Bitco- the, the first bar um, that ever started accepting Bitcoin. So he was going there to get real-world feedback like, uh, as often as he could because there, were actual, there was actual usage. And it's not just him sitting with his uh, friends in a, in a developer ivory tower, if you will, um, trying to figure out what people, what, how people might want to use Bitcoin, and uh, and so this is a maturing process, and um, and yeah, like um, now now we're getting more and more users, and we're getting more and more use cases and real world feedback, and um, and and specialization will kick in, like people will start to develop for certain now because um, yeah, it's also feasible now from an economic perspective to. to to specialize.
1: Yeah, and I think that's actually, all the stuff you guys said is what attracted me the most to the open source stage. And you guys talked a little bit about education, but the thing about the education is that we can also still be honest when we're educating people about what the shortcomings are. And I mean, I think, uh, was it, Matt was talking about LDK and how he's excited, I might be the man who said it, but he's excited that when people ask him now, oh, can I do this on Lightning? He can he doesn't have to say, oh, it's theoretical now. Like it's possible I could do it using this, this, and this, right? Uh, so other parts of the conference, and I'm not like trying to disparage anyone. I'm again, I'm if anyone's speaking from the Ivory Tower, it's me, right? I write about this stuff. I don't do anything on the ground. Everyone at the conference was rah-rah. This is amazing. We're gonna change the world, blah, blah, blah. And people in the open source room that are actually actively building the code, writing stuff, thinking about things that are going to change the world, were the most critical of the things they were doing, right? There's Education needs to happen, yes. But these people were, were giving education, but also being very honest about it, right? They weren't papering over things that are problems. There's a problem, that is a problem. So like, yes, we need education, but we are allowed to be honest with that educational process, right? And I think that's actually what makes Bitcoin very special is that people are critical of it and that's what makes it stronger. So it, it I think that's like the best way I can think about the difference between the open source stage and the rest of the conference, right? Everyone was there because they love Bitcoin, rah, rah, rah. But a lot of people love Bitcoin because number go up. And there were fewer people that love it because of the financial freedom that it allows. Even the people on stage who were yelling about it, there's a, there's a group of them that wouldn't be up there yelling about it if they hadn't made 1,000x on their, their return. And I'm being very cynical here, but I, I think that's the truth. So it's really, it was really like jarring to go into the open source room and seeing people in the back you know, soldering together these... Uh, offline lightning invoice crew uh, things that can, they were up there soldering stuff, man. It was crazy. It was awesome. Uh, I don't really necessarily have a point other than we can do education and we can be uh, critical about that educational process.
0: Yeah. Just a note on the, um, on the sort of, on the honesty, like I would, I loved, you know, after watching, you know, almost every talk, just the pure, openness of discussion of people being like we don't know or i don't know like these are things that are that are in motion um and 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 there was not this like there was a humility among uh, among the crowd right that was just like people working on hard problems (laughs) and uh and then you know the other thing which i was tweeting yesterday was like not only are they working on hard problems but they are uh making these hard problems easy to understand like the amount of times that they kind of backed up into, you know, metaphors and explaining things at the ground level, yet talking about, uh, again, difficult problems. Um, Speaking of builders, uh, we have Arvin, who works uh, on the Galloway Money uh, banking platform, and he was on site as well, walking around. I think he had some of the um, some of the uh, perspective of, you know, connecting with people on the ground more than the panel's. Um, I see Nifty here as well, if she wants to come up and provide some thoughts. But um, uh, Arvin, wh- what did you think? How was your time in the open source hall?
3: Hey, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm assuming you guys can hear me okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's it's a lot of what George has been saying is that it felt like a, a conference inside of a conference. Um, for me, it was that, so I have been to Bitcoin conferences before where it was a lot more developer focused. Um, I would say i'm not usually someone who's attracted to something like bitcoin miami because it seems very noisy (laughs) i guess for the things that i'm interested in um but i guess like what was interesting about this about having this open source stage is that it attracted a lot of people within a different context because it's people who you would usually run into meet see um chat with like at some of the more technical conferences but now they're in the context of this broader conference so I guess for me, that was interesting. Like the conversations you would have, it would be like there's technical elements to it, but it's also that you'd see something in the exhibition hall or somebody would hear something on stage, uh, like on one of the other stages, or they would have a conversation with somebody who's maybe not as technical and you'd get this, you get this sort of, uh, this mixing, this this uh, non-technical slanted. So I think that that was, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, no, <laughs> I, I agree with what, what George was saying is that it, it felt like, it felt like a, little, a little reprieve from the rest of the conference. And for me too, what was, what was also good was, I guess, the satellite events that happened around the open source stage. Um, so things like, I'm not sure if things like, like PubFi and BitDevs right before the conference. And then um, there was a, a Bitcoin trivia event after the conference. Um, like those were really fun as well. And you also met some great people there. Um, and I feel like a lot of those people would have come because of the open source stage as well um so yeah i think for me generally the experience was that it was great to have this sort of little uh technical enclave in the middle of any context of a more mainstream conference i think that was that was my experience yeah
0: nice i think were you the one that that got to check out lalu's Tyro now oh
3: yeah i did that was so i guess yeah any technical front things that were if you wanted to get into things that were interesting like that was uh it was, okay, so content-wise, um, I think it's that there wasn't anything big, like if you had to talk announcements or big things that came out of the conference, for me, it was that nothing was really unexpected. It was that there's work to be done and like there's a general understanding of the work that needs to be done. And it was like all the content, all the announcements, all the things that people were putting out, it was kind of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's the next logical step. Um, but I guess, yeah, for me, the two interesting things were um Lalu's Taro announcement, uh, I guess, because we're also working on a a USD, uh, kind of USD over Lightning implementation. So it was interesting to see the parallels of how that works in a non-custodial context versus uh, a more, I guess, community custodial context that we're working on. Um, But also, I really liked, uh, so I spoke to Roy from Breeze at some point during the conference, and he was telling me about their upcoming green light integration. So they're going to I think be redoing the Breeze app. I think it, it might be a separate app, but it's gonna be a whole different set of assumptions because it's leveraging green light and core lightnings um, sort of spread out, uh, set up with that. We have keys on devices, you have the infrastructure somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I think those two, on a technical front, those two things were things that were interesting uh, to catch up on,
0: yeah. Could you, w- while we're on the topic, do like a brief top line of the taro announcement for the folks who either may not have seen it um, or may not have, you know, understood its implications or intent?
3: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I guess uh, at a high level, what it's what it is is kind of if if uh, if folks know what colored coins are, so the idea of like taking bitcoins, taking UTXOs, and sort of watermarking them as something else and having like a uh, an overlay network on top of Bitcoin. Um, so Omni is an example of this, Counterparty was an example of this, but it's kind of like taking UTXOs and pretending there's something else. And then that's kind of how you do tokens on it. Tarot is kind of like that, but extended. Um, it's using the uh, taproot, um, taproot scripting to to be able to embed um, ledgers like other assets inside of UTXOs and to do transactions inside of there. Um, so there's the on-chain component where you can issue an entire asset, mint an entire asset inside of UTXO and then have, have like, be able to transfer it to people uh, like from UTXO to UTXO. But also there's a, there's a routing component to, to it as well, um, where it's compatible with uh, like how things get routed on Lightning. Um, I think there's a, I think it works only for the, um, so there's, there's, there's two types of tokens you can work on, uh, on Bitcoin using Tarot. If I understood, it, it's like the normal fungible tokens, like things like if you wanted to do a, a fiat stable coin or something like that. And then there's more, uh, like the, the I think they're calling it collectible tokens, which is I guess if you think of NFTs, it's like non-fungible ones. Um, so the ones that can route on Lightning, I think, are the fungible ones. Uh, you'd have to do it through like a kind of a dealer broker type thing, I believe. But, uh, yeah, the basic idea is that you take UTXOs, you're able to add, um, sort of this alternative ledger these other tokens inside of a utxo and then that gets secured by bitcoin mining um, it gets secured by the bitcoin network and it's uh you can do transactions using that sort of structure
0: yeah nice and then <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the uh just just to maybe round out your comment you mentioned the usd over lightning on uh Galloway money do you want to just give a short ver- uh, version of that so that everybody's understanding the two
3: yeah sure so uh like is that uh Tarot does it in a, in a custodial way, and it does it kind of closer to the protocol um, using these uh, watermarked tokens. Um, the way that we're doing it, <clears throat> because we're sort of a custodial setup where communities run, um, they sort of, they aggregate Bitcoin and provide, like they provide that that sort of uh, clearing for their communities. So it's, our model is maybe closer to if you think of the federated mints that um, uh, some folks spoke about at the conference. Um, so in our model, what we've done is we have, we ha- we're still connected to the to the broader Lightning Network. Uh, our outside node kind of gets you in and out with sats and then things settle internally um, on a database. Um, and what we've done is in, like we have entries, we have wallets, uh, a wallet abstraction internally uh, for sats. And now we've included also an abstraction to be able to store cents, uh, so fiat, USD cents. And how it works is that when, If somebody wants to, let's say, for example, I'm a user and I have a USD wallet uh, that's denominated in cents. If somebody somebody wants to send me Sats, I would generate a standard Lightning invoice um, that's denominated in Sats. Um, I would give it to them. They would pay that invoice. The Sats would get routed to whoever's running that instance. So like, for example, in in the Bitcoin Beach case, the Bitcoin Beach folks, um, the Sats get routed to their node. And when it reaches to their node, there's a sort of a dealer that converts it to the equivalent value of USD and then uh, credits the, uh, the amount to the USD wallet of the user. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a more centralized way of doing a similar thing. Um, but I think the, uh yep yeah, the common thing is that there is that sort of like things get routed over the open network when it's leaving the system, um, and the conversion function that happens to complete the, complete that last stop and have the asset be actually stored as, as the fiat representation
0: of it nice thank you for that yeah. um there was a couple other panels that we thought were really interesting um and Kemal and I were chatting about and you just kind of summoned one of them which was the uh Fed-Mintz, the federated chamois Minsk. um Kemal do you want to hop in and kind of explain uh, what was being discussed there and and what some of the takeaways are from Obi and and Eric Sarian's talks
1: wait Andrew can I ask a quick oh. question Please. uh about the stable coins on on ln that arvin was kind of discussing with, with tarot and, and those type of things yeah of course um, let's
0: stay there for a bit yep.
1: can we like very briefly answer the question why like why why do we need that why do we need it right there's like still a centralization problem at some point down the road right if we're just putting usdc on top of the lightning rails are we solving anything? Or are we just like making it easier to fling around a centralized coin? It's, it's really more of like a theoretical question. Like, why do we need this?
2: I can take that one as well if uh, nobody else likes. Uh, so um, generally um, the idea uh, was, well, we, we see that there is a market demand for um, USD stable coins. We see it in the market caps of stable coins like Tether, like USDC and DAI and others. And um, so there's, first of all, there's that, um, like people want to use it. And if you, if you want to know why they want to use it is, for example, here in Turkey, the Turkish Lira is uh, like breaking down. Uh, and in many other places, uh, national currencies are breaking down, like in Peru just recently or in Lebanon. And, uh, and what people naturally do, since uh, they haven't been following Bitcoin as closely, as the dollar is they compared their national currency's value to big currencies like yen euro and dollars so so and and, and in order to protect themselves from inflation they they buy dollars and keep it under their pillows right so that's uh, been kind kind of learned um, around the world um, and especially in El Salvador and which is also the reason why we at Gallo decided to build it is Um, sure, like people can now use digital payments, but the Bitcoin price is volatile. And if, for example, um, a merchant um, gets a Bitcoin payment and uh, they see it, oh, cool, that's uh, equivalent of $500. And they uh, talk to their neighbor and say, hey, I want to order something like chairs for my restaurant uh, worth $500 next month. And next month comes... And uh, they look into their wallet and want to pay and and it's only $300, right? So they have options because dollar is still the unit of account in El Salvador. Like you can't switch that off overnight. People are still um, using it uh, to to price things. Um, However, the Bitcoin price does uh, what it wants in the short term. So it uh, goes up and down. Of course, in the mid and long term, it uh, more than not goes up, right, because of scarcity and demand and stuff like that. But in the short term, it can leave people vulnerable to price volatility, and uh, they. So it's a good idea to basically keep their um, short-term expenses in the currency uh, in which they have their obligations. And um, and also, if you want to think about it like that, like Bitcoin is a new thing for many people, and if you even, and they've been basically, if you imagine it like a room in, the, in which they've been growing up, um, and even though that room doesn't have any windows and, uh, and and it's empty, people are used to that, right? And uh, and they've been using that all of their life. Now, if you open a door to that room and say, "Hey, come over here! There's a big party going on, and there's fancy people, and uh, life is much better," that all may may be true, but people will be hesitant to go over that to that room if they if 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 you tell them. Well, if you go over, you can't go back, right? So having having given people that optionality to choose which currency um, they want to keep their value in and make that transition in the, on their own pace and in their own time um, is really important. Um, and um, and yeah, and that's in my opinion, the need uh, for for having like, uh, yeah, fiat currency packed uh, stable coins at the moment. Gotcha,
1: so it's a unit of account problem. It- and basically, if we're going to think big long term, this is the the bridge to hyper Bitcoinization in the next fifty years or whatever. Just right now, it's a unit account problem. Bitcoin isn't the unit account yet. Eventually, it will be, and that's when this sort of falls off, right?
2: We'll see. Yeah, that's the theory. <laughs> that's what I what I believe right. in. But we can we can only know uh, uh, live long enough to see how it plays out.
1: <laughs> right, makes sense. Thanks, man.
0: You caught me uh, exploring, trying to find a, uh, a link. So, George, I'll, I'll flip a um, in a second here a tweet into the nest. So, uh, uh, Nicholas Berthe gave a presentation at Lightning Hack Day that goes through um, some of the the, the alternatives and, and how uh, you know Galley landed on the UST or Lightning. Using derivatives, and so it it might be interesting. It it explains some of the things, but I think Kamal gave gave a great example. Um, You know that idea of of having being able to to hold your your value in in dollars, um, especially as you are transitioning from you know you're potentially new to Bitcoin. Like just a quick example. Um, in Bitcoin Jungle, uh, you know, they they launched their app at these uh, farias, which are essentially farmers markets. Um, and they were willing, they were offering to cash out merchants at the end of every week uh, at these farias. And in week one, you know, 80% of the merchants cashed out t- to the local currency. Um, and, and you know, week over week over week, uh, you know, fewer merchants, more merchants were saying, wait a minute, I actually want to hold the Bitcoin, um, but having a USD wallet um, that you can dump some sats into to for um, uh, to avoid some of the volatility, if just to you know to meet your obligations, uh, is definitely a, a user need that we've seen. All right, I'll. I'll uh... I'll offer up for, um, you know, I see some other folks have joined, anybody that wants to hop up and share some of their, you know, takeaways from open source stage, favorite panels, hot takes, spiciest panel, I think that uh, goes <laughs> the spiciest panel. But in the meantime, uh, Kamal, uh, you know, I, we, we touched or, or started going down the path of the OB and, and Eric Sarian, uh, uh, Fediment, uh, you know, presentations and panels. Do you want to touch on that for a minute and just share what uh, what was
2: discussed? Sure um I want to touch on also on what George earlier said about uh, listening to open source devs being critical of bitcoin when they are building on bitcoin which is yeah it is a rare sight if you're on twitter most of the time and everyone is basically most of the time concerned with pumping bitcoin <laughs> to to the moon right um but um yeah so um it I think, like, um, this nuance uh, of criticism of Bitcoin and self-awareness of the shortcomings, uh, you need to have it in order to improve Bitcoin, and uh, and that's something that's very deep in, and should be very deep in every Bitcoiner. Unfortunately, like, um, when you go to non-technical people, um, it gets a little bit lost, uh, the nuance, um, and people chime in who then use that. That admission of a weakness uh, for a reason or opportunity to pump another coin, and then you have to go into refuting, and then law kicks in where you can't, where you need to spend an infinitely bigger amount of energy to refute the bullshit than to spread it out in the world, and and then everything is distracted, so people shy away a a little bit from it. But when bitcoiners are around, uh, like knowledgeable people. Yeah, like attacking Bitcoin is like uh, a Bitcoiner sport, if you will, like there are conferences dedicated to that called Breaking Bitcoin, um, where people try to break Bitcoin because if like, and and also we are begging for better critics uh, on a non-technical level as well. So all the job has to be done by Bitcoiners themselves, unfortunately, Um, which is not so bad anyway. Um, So um, yeah, getting back like, um, yeah, about criticisms of Bitcoin, um also and that will lead me probably to to fedimens and and federated Xiaomi and ecash uh there was a really good article by paul stork recently he's on twitter called truthcoin and he wrote about limitations of lightning and now this is uh, and basically he made the example of like um with the current technical possibilities that we have how does lightning and uh, even with or bitcoin even with lightning scale to 8 billion people and um and uh, his arithmetic is basically that, yeah, well, it, it takes a huge amount of time. Like, he calculates 121 21 years if we do it in a non-custodial way. And, um, and just because block space is so scarce. So that is obviously like, wow, okay, like uh, 120 years to hyper-Bitcoinize, that's quite a long time. So how do we do it? Well, um, there is some ideas like channel factories um, that could make it more efficient. Um, but one prime way um, that crystallizes and that, yeah, our founder, Nicola Berti, had, had saw pretty early on and that worked for El Salvador and the people in Bitcoin Beach is doing it in a federated way, uh, as Obi called it um, in his keynote, in a, in a second party custody way, where you have like these hyper localized uh, communities or, uh, where you trust and know the people and uh, actually uh, can have them be the custodian of you, but not one single person again, but in a federated way. And, um, and, and that's basically the Galloy model with the shared custody, where many uh, co- trusted community members are, are holding the keys uh, on behalf of the community. So so not one single pe- person can exit scam, but they like a bunch of people would need to collude um uh to so it's basically uh like a good um good trade-off because you can trade off like um convenience in um for a yeah pretty good trust model still yeah like you get a lot of convenience for a little less uh trustlessness i would say mm. so that scales uh in a good way it has many advantages um but one downside is that um the users of such a community bank um, are not private uh, from the custodian and um, if about this like now in the long term right when when on scale then this might become a problem and uh, if actually like uh, governments have these community wallets and uh, do not uh, and, and there is no payer privacy or user privacy against the custodian well then bitcoin is no different than a cbdc and that is basically the starting point where Eric uh, um, Zirion on Twitter, uh, LZerion from uh, Blockstream, um, already proposed um, at the last Adopting Bitcoin conference, um, his idea of FedMint protocol and his implementation of Miniment. And uh, what it does is basically it's using blinded signatures that were invented uh, early in the 80s by David Chum, and um, basically what it does is it creates something called like, I'm not going to explain like the technical intricacies of this, but um, it creates like this federated um, mint um, to- or, or the federation um, doesn't really uh, know the amounts or who is paying who, um, but they can uh, give out tokens that can be used anonymously. and the, And the privacy is pretty good in these. And, uh, but the trade-off here, again, and it's always about trade-offs, and, and it, it's okay to have to make trade-offs, you just need to be transparent about them, um, because uh, and, and if, as long as you do that, that's fine. So the trade-off here is, again, that uh, it goes uh, to the disadvantage of auditability. But um, yeah, in in certain scenarios, this might still like nothing is sacrosanct. It's always like you always have to trade in something for someone something else. And uh, I can imagine certain scenarios where this model might be useful um, and uh, bring basically privacy and and financial privacy is really important uh, into such a community bank. Obviously, like currently, there is not a acute need for that because people can always go on chain right now. So the block space, like the blocks, are not super full at the moment, and um, they can use privacy tools that are um, uh, privacy wallets. And uh, um, but in the future, when block space becomes scarce and uh, Bitcoin, and we shouldn't find have that great breakthrough in terms of scaling, then. Um, yeah it will be important to add such a feature
0: amen to that i think those are great talks um both of them there was a sort of a keynote and then a and then a panel on that one Have i mean there's there's a bunch more to cover but i know that george has a hard stop at three um and so we'll we'll start to maybe uh to wrap it up we'll say maybe george if you have any last thoughts i know we didn't touch on plebfi which was an event you you went to as well um, if you have any final thoughts or or stories from PLEBFI you want to pass along to the folks, and then we'll let anybody if there's anybody who wants to come up and share share a story uh, or one of their favorite you know panels uh, or takeaways, that's great. Other yeah, so we'll uh, we'll break from there. So George, I'll give you the floor.
1: Yeah, I'll say a brief thing about PLEBFI, and then I'll say you know my sort of goodbye. Pledgie is awesome. Jeremy's doing a great job with Pledgie, and he decided that he was going to raise a grant fund to get more women and minorities or people who would otherwise not be able to make the trip to come over and do a hackathon in Miami. And these are people who are very talented, right? And I was sitting in that room and I was way over my skis, right? We talked about the open source room being open source. These were coders amongst coders. So the language they were speaking was way above my head. But uh, it was in this weird little warehouse, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it felt like Bitcoin, like the coin. So it was really cool. You guys should all go to pleb.fi and support Jeremy's uh, thing if you, you feel so inclined. I think it's great. And uh, so my closing thought is you should support open source, source development because that is the reason we have the freedom tools that we have because the open source people are building great tools for us. So support them in any way you can. Read their stuff, listen to them, donate to them if you can. Do all that good stuff. And thanks for having me, guys. It was, it was fun talking about this A- again. I can talk about to that.
0: I, I appreciate yeah. you joining uh, sharing your experience, uh, asking some good questions. So, till next time, George, we'll let you go. Uh, we will sign off. Uh, we will sign off here. I will. I think I left everybody hanging when I said there was one most spicy panel. Um, if you want to check it out, it is the side the side chains channel from day three was uh, was was interesting and uh, and and there was some uh, you know some back and forth for sure um, with Paul Stark. uh uh, chad Berford, uh uh, burak um keseli and so i i probably did a horrible name on their names uh job on their names but uh that was one uh, that i had pegged uh kemal any any other parting thoughts or other you know items that we didn't cover that we should touch on before we we uh, close
2: up yeah i'll correct you on that name it's burak Keseli, and he's actually from istanbul uh and he's uh He's he's a script wizard. Uh, I met him at the Lightning Hector. He's a great guy. So follow him. Very smart about Covenants. Um, Yeah, I think uh, all I want to say is uh, next week, uh, we're getting close to the first episode. uh, Actually, we're going to fill the 21 uh, episodes soon. So we have two left. Episode 20 next week. I think we're going to have the ominous Blue Robot uh, on open arms uh, and uh, have him talk about how, how he's progressing with uh, setting up uh, a Gallo instance on a self-hosted environment uh, for the folks in uh, Brazil with Fernando and prior Bitcoin. Uh, I, I see Fernando is already listening in, so uh, I haven't even managed to reach out to him, but I hope he has time next week. But yeah, that's something that I would be keen on uh, hearing about like, uh, I've been following in the Slack. So um, it's been, the, the guys have been on it 24 uh, 7 and making great progress. And obviously, like, if we want to see like these gallery banks pop up uh, all around the world in a, in a mushroom, mushroomy, mycelium fashion, then easy to deploy. Uh, so, yeah, doing God's work there. Um and yeah, I hope you have time, Fernando. <laughs> all right. Uh that's it from me. And uh thanks, uh George and Arvin and uh Andrew. And yeah, see you next week.
0: See y'all next week.